Thank you, Lord, that we can come this morning and um, we thank you that you have revealed your word to us, that we don't need to, um, Lord, have dreams and visions anymore. Um, we, we can have your word here with us and we thank you also that your spirit is here with us and your spirit helps us understand your word. So, Father, we thank you for that and we pray that you might just be amongst us now as we, we go through this passage, that you might teach us something that can encourage us, that challenges us and that helps us, Lord, obey you and, and be closer to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, well, Jaden's learning saxophone at the moment. He didn't even look up. So I said his name, he's still there. But one of the songs that he's learning, um, that Jaden's learning on the saxophone, is a song called I Feel Good. I don't know if you know it. It's by James Brown. Um, and people love that song because they want to feel good. Everyone wants to feel good. Um, and he hits the stage and he just calls out, I feel good, and people catch on. Um, Jaden's still reading his book there, so ignoring me. Um, but really, all of us want to feel good. That's, that's the feeling inside that we have. We want to feel good. We want to feel right. We want to feel right physically, so we um, do the right things physically. You know, we look after ourselves. We buy organic food and eat free-range eggs and all that sort of thing and buy vitamins. Um, but we also want to be right emotionally in our thoughts. So we, a lot of us go on personal development, whether it's through work or as individuals. Um, and there's a multi-billion dollar industry to make people feel right or to make them feel good. Um, within themselves and emotionally and, and physically um, in the world today. And people spend a lot of money doing it. Uh, I'm shocked to see what some of the, um, these gurus sort of charge when you come to their seminars. It's just a lot of money. Um, but we're willing to do it. We want to go on de- doc- detox diets. We want to cleanse ourselves. Um, we want to get rid of the bad that's in us. And we want to feel good. Um, both spiritually, oh, sorry, physically, emotionally, and, and socially. But also, some people want to feel good spiritually. They realise that we're not just bodies, we're not just um, minds, we actually have a spirit. So they want to feel good spiritually, and they want to feel right with the Creator, with the Divine. And so we, there's also a multi-billion dollar industry for that as well. And we can go on yoga retreats and meditate, and um, you know, people follow rituals and ceremonies, people go to church and temples, um, all around the world, and people go on long pilgrimages, you know, to different parts of the country, um, of the world, just to feel right spiritually um, and come closer to to the divine. So it's it's been a question that's been asked right from the beginning of time: How can I get right with God? How can I be right with God? Because a lot of people acknowledge that to feel right, you need to to be right with God. So it's a question that many people have asked. How can I get right with God? And as I'm speaking today, you can probably formulate an answer in your head. How do you think we get right with God? Um, just think about that as we, as we go through the passage this morning. You know, how, how, how do, you, do you think you, you can be right with God right now this morning? What do you need to do? Okay, don't answer now. Just think about that concept. So as we go through Romans, if you turn to the passage there, one, one, page 1114 in the Church Bible, and we're going to be also looking at um, a bit of chapter 1 and a bit of chapter 2 as well. That's the, t- the problem you have when you're just preaching one off. <laughs> you've got so many things, and I don't know if Danny, you've probably had experience, that you end up with, you know, by the time you finish preparing, you end up with a big, thick notebook. So what I'm going to do is just give us the context of chapter 1 and 2. And also Joel said a bit of the context last week in his sermon about um, slavery. So, 
So Romans 1 and 2 actually give us the context, and in there, just to summarise, Paul talks about three different types of people. Um, there's the immoral or worldly or religious type of person. Um, there's the moral person that does good. And there's also the religious person that keeps his rituals and laws. So let's just uh, have a quick scan of chapter 1. Um, the first type of person described here is the, the immoral or worldly or non-religious person. So if you go over to page 1112, just over the page in chapter 1, I'll just read maybe a couple of verses there um, as we scan through this chapter. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all the godless and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For all, and down in verse 21 it says, um, For although, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and the foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now this is typical of a lot of people in Australia today, and if you read that whole chapter you'll see these people basically follow their own desires. They just do what they want. Um, whatever they want to do, when they get up in the morning, they do. You know, within their limitations, I guess, of the finance. Um, they rule their own lives and they're proud of it. In fact, these people don't want anything to do with God. Um, they might look at created things and enjoy them, but they just have nothing to do with the Creator. Um, they want to feel right by doing what they want. That's how they feel right. I do what I want, I feel right. Um, they don't want anything to do with God. So the first type of person, the immoral. The second type of person talks about in these first few chapters of Romans is the, is the moral person. Um, so the moral person, how do you think they want to be right? How do, they, how do you think they think they're right before God? Well, chapter 2 describes these people. They want to do the right thing. Okay? When someone's in need, they help out. Um, they, we might have a flood appeal like we have these days in Queensland and um, in Victoria. They'll be probably one of the first ones to give. Okay, they're moral people. A lot of Australians are like that. I don't know if you remember Kerry Packer. Um, he died a few years ago, but when he died, he was actually worth about $5 billion, like he was Australia's richest man. Um, but when, one day, I think he got sick and he, something happened and he decided to donate some money to the ambulance service. He donated $5 million, I think, to get these is it fibrillator things going. Um, $5 million. Now, Everyone thought that was fantastic. You know, um, front page of the paper, Kerry Packer donates $5 million to charity. Um, the media made a really big deal out of it. And this is the sort of person that's talking about, those that think they do the right thing and they feel right by doing what they think is the right thing. Um, but, but the issue here, there's a problem here, though, and if you look at chapter 2, verse 1 of Romans, and I won't go through the whole chapter, we'll just scan through... A, the problem here is the temptation then to compare ourselves to others. Okay, so you're a moral person, you donate money, you do good, you know, you help out and clean up Australia, all those sorts of things. But then you tend to look at those that don't do that and you think, well, I'm better than them. Um, you know, they, they don't do that. A lot of them, those people are like described in Chapter 1, actually, you know, take drugs and drink alcohol. You know, they might even murder. I'm not like that. I give, you know, I give to the... Um, to charity, I generally do good. I help people out. But what does verse, chapter 2, verse 1 say? It says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at every point you judge the other, you are condemning yourselves. 
because you who pass judgment do the same things. Okay, the moral person, unlike the worldly person, they compare themselves to, to the immoral. And there's a temptation there to, to judge others. Um, so these sort of people say, well, surely God will accept me if I come to heaven because I've been good. You know, I, need to be, I can be right with God because of what I do. Um, I might not go to church, I might not be religious, but I do the right thing. And so by doing these things, they compare themselves to others and they feel right. Okay, the third type of person. So we've seen the worldly moral person, we've seen the, the moral person. What other type of person does it talk about in, in Romans? So we go to chapter th- to 3, I say chapter 2, verse 17. Um, these are the religious people. Okay, these people want to feel right within themselves and they also want to be right with God. And chapter 2, verse 17 says, it's directed to the Jews. Okay, these are the people that have God's requirements, have God's laws. And it says, now if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of the knowledge of truth. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal? And it goes on there talking about the religious, in particular the Jews. But you can apply this to any religion, really. Religion in general is you wanting to be right with God and and reaching to God through what God expects through his commandments. And they become right with God by keeping these rules and regulations. Let's say how they think they become right with God. But they rely on the law and they boast about it. They brag that we've got you know, the sacred scriptures here and we're keeping them. And because of that, God is going to, you know, we're going to be right before him. He's going to accept us on that basis. So they'll carry out their rituals, they'll carry out their ceremonies, they'll carry out the pilgrimages, they'll go to the synagogue, they'll go to church, they'll go to temples, they'll go to mosques. You know, religious people do things because they believe that's what God wants them to, to do, to be right with him. So we've got three types of people here described. The moral, the worldly, the... Um, I should have one finger. Um, the moral person and the religious person. So as we go through this passage, just keep that in mind. Okay, so we come to Romans chapter 3 now in verse 9. There's one big problem that all these, these people have, and we probably fit into one or more of these categories. One big problem. And we read that from the passage in Psalms, and we'll read in chapter, chapter um, 3 verse 9 here. If you follow from verse 9, it says, What's the conclusion after looking at those three types of people? What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And Paul continues on there using a string of passages from the Old Testament. Um, you notice some of them come from Psalms, the one we read. There's some that come from Ecclesiastes. There's some that come from the book of Isaiah. So he's drawn from the whole Bible about our condition and the big problem that we have. 
as, as humans. I was talking to a lady this week at work um, who's fairly religious and um, she goes to church and all that sort of thing um, about Romans and she made the comment that, well, you know, Paul, this is really Paul's opinion. It doesn't really, you know, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. Um, you go to the Gospels, you know, to find other things, but this, what it talks about here is really just Paul's opinion. <clears throat> but if you have a look there at verse 10 that, um, that we just read, it doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, well, this is my opinion. What does he say? As it is written. Okay, he's not giving his opinion. This is, this is the theme throughout the whole Bible. It's not just one thing that Paul's come up with that, um, you know, that he's just suddenly decided to take this really, paint this really bad picture about humans. Um, it, it's not his opinion. It's, it's scripture. It's God's word. And it's consistent all the way throughout that we have a real problem as human beings. And God's, said, God's word says that we as individuals have all gone astray. It basically says that evil is everywhere. Um, it says that we're spiritually ignorant. And in fact, it says that we're spiritually dead in our sin. And if you look at the description here, it uses various parts of the body. It uses the, the lips, the mouth, the feet, the eyes. Our whole nature is permeated with sin through our thoughts, our speech, our acts. Our entire, our entire being. And that's why it concludes in verse 9 there. It says, all are under the power of sin. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're religious, whether you're a Gentile, you know, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Catholic, whether you're a Muslim, we're all under the power of sin. Each of us is under the power of sin. And a lot of people find this teaching very offensive. I mean, you go and tell the average person in the street, well, you know... Um, you know, your your whole being is is impregnated with sin. What would they say? They'd probably hit you or something. You know, um, they'll be very extremely offended. And psychologists tell us the opposite of that. They tell us, well, essentially, you're good. You know, if you keep looking inside yourself, keep looking, you'll find good. You know, you'll find the real you. And counselors tell that. A lot of teachers tell the kids, well, you know, you're special. You're you know, there's really good things inside of you. But that's not the reality, and it's not what the Bible says. And people get offended when we say that. But that's the truth of Scripture. We're in a real predicament as a society and as individuals. And the reason why we have wars and trouble in society is because each of us has a war and has trouble inside us. And we're just parts of society, each one of us. You know, we just put us all together and we become society. And because there's problems inside of us, that reflects in problems in society. So this is really addressing the, the issues, the real issues of why we have problems in the world today. And the reformers used to call this total depravity. Um, well, we still call it total depravity today. And what it's basically saying is that we're not sinful all the time in every possible way, but sin has affected everything, every part of us and everything we do. Um, so even the good things that we do is affected by sin. And that all happened because of what happened in the garden when we, we rebelled against God and turned our own way. So that's what the Bible says, but what about outside the Bible? What's the feeling about um, how we are as people? I was reading during the week about a philosopher called Bertrand Russell. I don't know if anyone's heard of Bertrand Russell. He's an atheistic philosopher, very anti-Christian. Uh, he has no time for the church or Christianity at all. But his conclusion after he's looked at the world and looked at all the issues and looked at individuals, um, in one of his books he says, 
the secret to happiness, this is his secret to happiness, and it's probably the secret of most atheists these days to happiness, is to face the fact that the world is horrible. That's his secret to happiness, face the fact that the world is horrible. Um, we tend to sort of skim over it. We tell people, oh, no, it's, it's essentially good, but no. And this is from a non-Christian. This is from an atheist. Elsewhere, I mean, you just got to look at the songs that people are singing generally. Um, the Rolling, Rolling Stones, I, mean, I don't normally go to Mick Jagger for insights into philosophy, but one of their songs is called I Can't Get No Satisfaction, and it just keeps going on in the song. You know, I try and I try, but I just can't get no satisfaction. No matter what I do in this life, you can't get satisfaction. So even non-Christians realise that there's something wrong inside us and the more we look inside, actually, the more problems we'll see, um, contrary to what all the New Age and psychologists tell us. So there's another conclusion then in verse 23. So if you go back to, to chapter 3, verse 23. Okay, there is no difference whether we're Jew or Gentile, um, whatever religion we come from. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, this is really, I guess, the, um, the essence of, of what Scripture is trying to say about us. If we had to condense everything in the Bible about us into one verse, this is it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I don't know if our Irish friends have gone out to the harbour, but you see that there's two heads out there, North Head and South Head. Um, and as boats come into the harbour, they come in through these two heads. It's about 500 metres, I think, is the distance between, if not more. Um, so to keep that in your mind, there was a, an athlete called Carl Lewis, and some of you might remember that. He was a long jumper. The kids won't remember him, but he could jump 8.87 metres. That was a long jump. Okay, so you can imagine, put yourself on the south head. I talked about the two heads with... Me, Chan, Carl Lewis, probably Jaden. Okay, and each of, us, each one of us has to jump. I'll go first. I'll probably jump about three meters, I think. Um, Chan will probably go second. He might jump four meters. Jaden jumps probably two and a half meters. <laughs> He's still not listening. Um, and here comes Carl Lewis. You know, the, the, he's got the world record for the long jump. Okay, this is the ultimate humanity when it comes to long jump. He comes to the south head takes his big long run up okay he's also the world sprint champion as well so you imagine he began really fast there he goes and jumps okay now south head to north head 500 meters what happens to us okay we all end up in the harbor probably on the rocks or shark food something like that um, none of us could possibly even think about making it to the other side north head it's just ridiculous that concept of us trying to reach the other side so even in our best attempts, we wouldn't make it. But, you know, that's what it's like trying to reach God's standards. Okay, God expects us, expects this. He expects very high standard. He expects perfection. And that's what he is. God is glorious. He is perfect. We just read about us. Okay, we're down here. So for us trying to reach God and his standard is just like me trying to jump over from South Head to North Head. And even the best of us, like Carl Lewis, trying to jump from South Head to North Head. It's just ridiculous. We all fall short, and that's what it talks about here. We fall short of his glory. We all fall short of the mark. And it's not like some of us are here, some of us here, and God's there. God's, you know, unreachable. 
And you might say, well, you know, I still do, I do good things. Surely God will accept those good things that I do. But as, we, as I said, mentioned before in Isaiah chapter 64, it talks about even the good things that we do are just like filthy rags in God's sight. So even the very best of us are far from God. So what hope do we have? Okay, we're still thinking about how do we become right with God. That's sort of still ticking in our head. And it's not by being moral, it's not by being religious, it's not by you know, doing good works. The gulf is too wide. God's standard is impossible to achieve. Um, so I've painted a fairly bleak picture, but have a look at verse 21. But now, okay, and this is, theologians have said this is the most powerful but now ever written in any document in history. Okay, we've, Paul has just gone through Romans and just painted the picture of what we're like. He's, um, he's been the doctor. He hasn't avoided the, the bad things. He's gone straight to the cancer. Okay? Um, what does Paul say now? But now. Okay? Talks about a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. A righteousness from God apart from the law has been revealed to us. And the New King James Version uses the word revealed. So the way to be right with God has been revealed. It's been revealed to us. And it's not from the law. It's not from keeping regulations and rituals. It's not from being moral. Okay, Even though that's very important. But that's not how we become right with God. God is taking initiative. And this is really radical. Okay, This is... It's really unheard of. You look at every religion in the world today, not one talks about the righteousness of the divine being um, being revealed. Okay, they all talk about what we can do. They talk about what we have to do, you know, the prayer wheels, the, you know, the going to the temples, the, all those sorts of things, the rituals, obeying the laws, being good. But none of them talk about a righteousness from God. It's really an alien teaching. It's a teaching from another world. Man could not come up with this teaching. And this is the great, the great truth about Scripture is that it's, it's revealed to us. Um, we wouldn't have known it. We couldn't have revealed it ourselves. If we would search ourselves, we would never have thought that um, a divine being would give us his righteousness because our righteousness is not good enough. Um, there's, I think it's about 9,900 religions in the world today. And every one of those religions teaches in some way that we have to do something to reach God. Every one of them. Okay, and it's growing. That was the Encyclopedia of um, Christianity, I think. It said 990 religions. Um, But you see, Christianity is not really a religion. It's not a religion because what we're seeing here is not us trying to reach God. It's God reaching down to us. That's the difference. Okay, God was the one that took the initiative. So Christianity is about God reaching man and providing a righteousness that makes us right with him rather than humans providing a righteousness that makes them right with, with God. Well, you may ask, ask the question, well, what's the point of doing good then? You know, if God accepts us based on his righteousness, what's the point of us doing anything good? Um, you know, surely the good things that I do should, should have something to do with it. But the problem is not about the quantity. You know, the, the, our problem is not only about quantity, sorry. 
so we don't do enough good things, but it's also about the quality of what we do. Um, it's a bit like Tom or Jaden um, going to a shop. Yeah, I got his attention. Um, and taking Monopoly money with them. So they want to buy a PlayStation and they go to the shop and they take Monopoly money with them and they go to the shopkeeper and, give, and say, listen, we want a PlayStation each and we want all the associated software. Here's $500, Monopoly money. It just doesn't work like that. Our righteousness is like that. It's the wrong type of righteousness. Okay, we need a special type of righteousness. We need the real thing. And that's the righteousness that comes by, from God. So we've got the wrong type of righteousness and we don't have the quantity anyway, even the best of us. Well, you might say, well, Ray, this is your interpretation of this passage. Where else, you know, there's a talk about this sort of righteousness. Um, and if you turn over the page to chapter 1, um, page 112, and verse 16. And this is the Apostle Paul talking about the gospel. So the gospel is the good news about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's the gospel, the good news. Okay, and what does Paul say in chapter 1, verse 16? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile, so everyone. But this is where we stop sometimes in this passage. If you keep going on, what does it say? Verse 17. For in the gospel... Okay, this is the core, the kernel of the seed. For in the gospel, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Sorry, I've jumped the verse. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Where have we heard that before? Okay, this is the essence of the gospel. A righteousness from God is revealed. Okay, and that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, so it's not a new concept. Paul just suddenly bring it up. He brought it up before when he talked about the gospel. There's a righteousness from God. That's what the gospel is about. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about the good things that we do, which religion teaches us. It's about the righteousness from God. So it is good news, and that's why it is good news, because we don't have the right righteousness. God has come in and stepped in and taken the initiative now, I try to share these two passages with JWs when they come and knock on the door because basically they're all about doing good things and knocking on people's doors and getting points up. Um, so I always share, well, what, well what's, what does it mean when it says a righteousness from God has come down and that's what saves us and makes us right before him? And they just go straight to you know, some other point in their scripture. Um, but it's a, it's a good passage to bring up. You know, you ask when someone knocks on your door, JW, rather than just tell them the to go away, just say, well, can I just, I'll let you talk for a couple of minutes, but can I just share that passage from Romans chapter 3, verse 21 with you? A righteousness from God, apart from the law, has come. How does that make us right with God? You know, Is that how we become right with God? Get him thinking. Okay, so we saw in here, but also in other parts of the, the Bible, it talks about this concept as well. And if we go back to chapter 3, verse 21 again, um, it says, But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made, made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Okay, so you go back to the Old Testament, to Moses, the law, and go back to the Psalms, to David, and go back to the, the prophets. They also talk about this. They testify about this. 
Okay, and we read some passages before in that section in chapter 9 that talks about us having nothing good in us, that we need a righteousness from God. And Scripture is consistent. And in chapter 4 of Romans, just a couple of verses further down, it gives us an example. Abraham, our father Abraham, you know, the father of, of Isaac, the father of Ishmael. Okay, here's the example put here. Okay, so it's not just made up here. He's going back to Abraham. And what does it say about Abraham? If you go to um, chapter 4, verse 1, this is very important because people say, well, this is the New Testament we're talking about. The Old Testament's different. You know, it's not consistent. But the Bible is consistent. What does it say? Verse 1, what, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? And this is referring to Genesis, um, chapter 15, verse 6. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. Okay, this is going back to the Old Testament. Abraham believed God. That's how Abraham became right with God. That's how Abraham was saved. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So that's not his righteousness. It's not the good things that he did. It's talking about this righteousness that's been revealed from God, that's, that's um, revealed in the gospel. And there's a whole, you can read on from there and look at how Abraham you know, had faith. That's how he was saved. So there's a, a whole passage there about him. Okay, so how does it all work? If we go to verse 22, back to chapter 3, verse 22. Um, and there's a whole series of concepts here, and a lot of the people that preach on Romans, um, and probably Raph's discovered this, and Danny as well, when you, they'll spend a whole sermon just on one verse. In fact, I think um, one of them spent a whole sermon on one word. I'm not sure what his name was, one of the preachers. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones or Spurgeon, one of them. Okay, so within this passage, which we're going to read, there's probably about 50 sermons. There's so much truth so much doctrine in there. But I'm just going to sort of break it up and scan through it. But how does it all work? How does God's righteousness help us become right with him? Okay, let's read from verse 22. It says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So let's just unravel this little package here, the best that we can do it this morning. And, um, and it's good just to... Maybe go home later and just go through it yourself and just ask God to, to really make it real to you. So to be saved we, and right with God, we need God's righteousness. We've established that. And looking at this passage here, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. It's received by faith. And we are justified by his grace. Grace is undeserved favour. That's all grace is. And we can't earn it. It's a free gift. Okay, there's nothing we can do. It's a gift. What do you do when you get a gift at Christmas time? Do you say, oh, Dad, here's, 
Here's $20 for that DS. Still no attention. Um, no, it's a free gift. You get that package, it's yours. There's no strings attached. Um, and that's what grace is. It's a free gift. This righteousness from God that comes to make us right with him is a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And it comes through redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And that's a big word. And in the children's talk, we had one aspect of redemption. And so there's three big words there. And I'll just go through those quickly. Um, justification, um, redemption, and atonement. And so justification is like the law court. Okay, the judge is there. And some of us have been before the law court with a judge. Some of us have experienced it. And it's not a very nice feeling. Um, even if you're innocent, it's not a nice feeling, and you know, some people realise that. But here we are in the courtroom of God, and each one of us is on trial. And we've all sinned, as we've seen, and we're all guilty, and, and the Bible tells us the punishment of sin is death. So, But then the judge, God as judge, declares us not guilty. Um, those who trust in Jesus, God declares not guilty. That's what justification is. A good way to remember justification is think of the string of words, just as if I had never sinned. That's what justification means. Just as if I had never sinned. The judge pronounces you not guilty. But you might say, well, how can a holy God pronounce us not guilty? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Does God sort of lower his standards and say, well, you know, I'm going to accept you? No. God's standard is perfect. And Jesus obeyed God's laws perfectly. And that's why we're made not, not guilty because Jesus took the punishment for us. Jesus was made guilty for us. He took our sin and our punishment when he died on the cross. So sin was paid for. The claims of the law are fully met. So no one can ever accuse God of being unjust. God is just. Okay? No one can accuse him of being unjust by letting us go. Um, and the, the scripture is full of the Pharisees sort of complaining about you know, landowners and people letting people... God is a merciful God, he's a gracious God, but he's also a just God. And his perfect law had to be obeyed. If it was broken, there had to be punishment. It was obeyed perfectly by Jesus, but it was broken by us. And there had to be punishment, but that punishment went to Jesus. So God declares the person who puts his trust in Jesus not guilty. And more than that, we're not just declared not guilty, we're actually declared righteous. Um... We're declared righteous, which is unbelievable, really. And people, some people get offended about that as well. They think, well, you know, you guys, how dare you call yourself righteous? You know, especially the Aussies, they like to sort of push people down. But God declares us not guilty, and he also declares us righteous. So you might say, well, what's the purpose of the law? If we're not meant to keep the law, you know, God, Jesus kept the law, what's the purpose of the law? Well, verse 20 says, um, if you have a look at verse 20, it says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, the law, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the law had a purpose. It's like a mirror. You look in the mirror and it tells you what you like. The law is like a mirror. It tells us that we're sinful. So through the law, we become conscious of sin. Um, and we know what God expects. But now we, can, we, we obey the law. We obey the law, not become right with God. We obey the law because we are right with God. There's a difference there. Okay, we, we don't obey the law to be right with God. We obey the law because we are right with God. Um, the other big word is redemption. So we looked at justification, redemption, and we looked at that during the children's talk. It's about buying back. Um, and the, the theme here is like the slave market, and Joel touched on that last week. Actually, he preached on it last week about being slaves. 
um, and the slave being delivered, you know, after a period of time. And that's what redemption is, us being delivered and brought back with a price. And because um, we are all slaves of sin in our natural state and we need deliverance. So we're set free through the redemption that came, that came uh, through Jesus. And that the price of the, the redemption was his blood. Okay, that was the price that was paid. In the example we gave of the boat, it was a price paid to get the boat back. It was money. But for us, to bring us back to God, the one who made us, the price paid was the blood of Jesus. So we looked at redem- uh, justification, redemption, and the other word in there is atonement, and there's a whole doctrine within this word. Um, but verse 25 says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his, in his blood. Atonement is about dealing with sin, um, wiping the slate clean in simple terms. The judgment that was meant for us was taken by Jesus. Um, the price was paid, so we are redeemed or made free. And just like in the Old Testament where the sin of the people was put onto the sacrifice, in the New Testament the sin of the people was put on the sacrifice, and that sacrifice is Jesus. So we see a great exchange taking place here, and this is the last verse we'll probably go to um, in Corinthians, which is on page 1145 of the Church Bible. I realise I've sort of gone over time a bit. But on 2 Corinthians says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's a great exchange taking place here. Okay, There's us and there's Jesus. Our sin comes on Jesus. Jesus' righteousness comes on us at the cross. That's what happened, the great exchange. Okay, That's what God's righteousness is about, the the righteousness of God in Jesus coming on us, our sin coming to Jesus and being punished on the cross. And... Verse 25 and 26 of Romans, back to Romans chapter 3, continue on about how this applies to people before the death of Jesus in the Old Testament. They were saved through the same process and the people today. Um, So that those who live before the cross are saved on the same basis. And verse 27 goes on to talk about pride. Okay, So it says, where then is boasting? is excluded. There's no reason to be proud if you're justified. You haven't earned it. Okay, There's no reason to be proud. We talk about sin, we talk about murder, we talk about um, you know, sexual sins and all those sorts of things, but you know, the biggest sin is pride. And that's the problem with the moral person because they're proud, they boast about the things that they do. It's the problem with the moral person because they boast about you know, being generous and giving to charity. And the religious people boast about keeping God's law and having the, you know, the revelation from God and you know, um, doing the right ceremonies and rituals. Pride is in all of us. And what does it say here in verse 27? Where then is boasting? There's no place for it. There's no place for pride. We need to humble ourselves before God and realise that it's all from him. Okay, so in, in conclusion then, you don't have to be good to be right with God and go to heaven. Okay, You've got to be perfect. God doesn't accept just good people. He accepts perfect people. But the question is, how do we get that perfection? And the gospel is that story about how God's righteousness comes upon us through Jesus. Okay, that's, that's how we get into heaven. We can't be right with God without that. So for those of us who are believers, who have repented and believe in Jesus, that he took our sins on the cross, what's the message for us? 
Yeah, I mean, when we read things like this, do we really appreciate the fact that God has given us his righteousness? Um, it's just amazing, you know, that we can actually live the Christian... Only one person can live the Christian life, and that's Jesus. But because he dwells in us, we can live the Christian life too. That's what empowers us through his spirit, to do the good things and to, to live the right life. So we should be thankful and praise God for that and, and stay, keep engaging with God and with each other. For those who aren't sure if they're right with God... Um, well, to become right with God, you need to repent and believe. You need to rely on what Jesus has done for you and admit that you fall short of his glory, that you're standing on the south head, you need to get to the north head, and the only way you can do it is if God actually takes the initiative and takes you there, gives you his righteousness. So accept the free gift of salvation today and let that great exchange take place in your life where your sin is taken away and God's righteousness comes to you. So back to that question, how do we become right with God? Okay, so after we've looked at that passage in Romans, how does that compare with what you thought at the beginning of the sermon? We're going to sing a hymn now, and the hymn writer says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Have a think about that as we sing our final hymn today. Let's just come... Um, Give our time to God now in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we can cover the, your word and we thank you again that your spirit is there to, to guide and direct us. Lord, for those of us who don't know if we are right with you, we pray that your spirit might just enlighten us to the truth of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. We thank you that in the gospel a righteousness from God has been revealed. Lord, it's not what we can do and, Lord, many of us struggle with even trying to, to do the right thing. Um, many of us struggle with sin. And, Lord, forgive us for thinking that even the good things we do could impress you, because it doesn't. You are only impressed by what Jesus has done, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect life. Lord, we claim that in our lives today. We thank you that your spirit dwells in us. Lord, we ask that the life of Jesus might be revealed through us, that you might be honoured and glorified as your people. And, Lord, we pray for those that don't know you, that you will just challenge them, Lord, to be right with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.